Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 66. It is February 4th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we kick off Pitcher Week. The Athletics Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit launched on Monday, and within that release, Eno shared his updated top 175 pitchers. So we'll talk about how those rankings uh, diverge from mine. We'll talk about the pitching pool as a whole, and that's going to be the main emphasis of this episode, all things starting pitching. On our next episode this week, we'll close things out with an emphasis on relievers. Uh, Some housekeeping to get to before we get started. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you want to listen to podcasts. So if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. And tell your friends if you like the show and you think that they might like the show as well. Some of you might be listening to the show for the very first time. If you are, welcome. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, this is a great time to sign up. You can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Everything we do, including that draft kit, is included with a subscription. You know, pitcher week is like one of the best weeks of the year, even though it's a thing that I just made up in the last <laughs> couple of days. Like it's, it's like shark week, but for pitching. Yes, yes. Pitcher palooza, whatever you want to call it. It is, uh, it is a fun time because... You know, also one of the things that's great about it is the pitchers aren't pitching right now. So at the very least, there's no like large piece of information that's going to come tonight when a pitcher starts. You know, <laughs> like I don't have to change everything because somebody blew out their elbow last night. But at the same time, because we don't have that and because it's static, you know, we do have the chance to argue. And one of the things I do think I'm going to update these before the the season starts because of conversations like we're about to have where people bring up different aspects of a player or they highlight differences. There was some consternation that Zach Eflin was behind Nick Pavetta, for example, and just a discussion of why that would be the case when Eflin's probably the guy who has a job and Pavetta has to at least fight with Vince Velasquez probably for a job. So, you know, sort of real life stuff, uh, stuff like Lance Lynn, Al Melchior wrote a great piece about Lance Lynn's in zone strikeout rate and, and how, how dominating he can be inside the zone. So people are doing research, bringing out, you know, different things to think about when it comes to pitching. Um, and then we can play this sort of would you rather with a few people. And that kind of uh, solidifies the rankings for me. Um, you know, and I've got a couple stories here. I think there's already one player, one pitcher I want to change, um, you know, because of, of certain factors. So we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about this and it'll probably lead to change. Yeah, I think that's generally how I view the player pool all the time anyway, is I'm looking for things that are not what I thought. I'm looking for mm-hmm. pitchers that have better stuff than I realized. I'm looking for. Uh, guys that maybe have lost velocity. I'm looking at that research just like you are and, and constantly tweaking evaluations uh, along the way. I think that's the, the right way to go about your business. I mean, we get thoughtful comments on our pieces sometimes that lead us to further exploration of a player. Uh, I've, I've adjusted players after that. I think that's, that's a good way to go in the approach. Uh, as far as your methodology, I know you wrote about it uh, on top of the piece, but for the listeners maybe who haven't read it yet, walk us through your process when you're ranking pitchers. I mean, you touched on a little bit in the last episode, but what factored into this round of pitcher updates? 
I'm really uh, blessed, really, I think, to, to have uh, an allegiance with Driveline Baseball, where they do a lot of great work. They also test a lot of their assertions in a lab format um, to to kind of... Um, they have hitters and pitchers there, and, and major league quality hitters and pitchers, so they can really test out anything that they're thinking about. Like, for example, right now, we're working together on a study about knowing what's coming. And so Driveline is testing with their hitters right now they're telling them uh, you know they're doing kind of a b on off testing where they're telling them sometimes what's coming and sometimes they're not telling them what's coming and uh, they're going to try and just look at some results type stuff but also um, you know time to contact did the swing start earlier did the swing start later did you know stuff like that um, and uh, so we can get a little bit more granular knowledge about what actually happens uh, when you know what's coming. But in this case, uh, they created a stuff number and uh, allowed me to, to check it out. And basically, it's based on Glenn Healy's work with intrinsic pitch values, which tries to remove, you know, framing, count, location, uh, quality of the batter, it tries to remove a lot of the things that surround a pitch and tries to get you know, try to take all that out and see what's left. What what does movement and velocity do for a pitch? And so they basically did that for every pitch type for every pitcher. And what I did was then went in and then weighted those to create an overall stuff number. Uh, so you basically take, oh, DeGrom threw this many sliders with this stuff number and this many fastballs with this stuff number. You weight them, you, you create an overall stuff number. So I had one column was the overall stuff number from Driveline. The next one is Command Plus, which comes from stats. You know, I've introduced that before. People who, who have been longtime listeners know what that is. But basically, stats tries to ask, did that pitcher do with the ball what he meant to do with the ball? And so that removes the idea of trying to hit certain zones in the strike zone or in, in terms of, oh, this corner is good uh, always. That's, uh, you know, yes, but what if he was trying to throw it on the plate and instead caught zone and the, and therefore it was an easier to hit ball. Um, so command asked, did he mean to hit the plate with that curveball? Oh, he did. And he did it. And they do scouting reports, uh, scouting reports for the batter, scouting reports of the pitcher, uh, heat maps. And they sort of judge the pitcher's intent with the pitch and how far off from the intent he was. So that's command plus. Um, I use the ATC projections just to have a, a numbers based projection uh, it's a sanity check. It, it corrals me. It, it allows me to know kind of where the market is. It's kind of a market judge. Uh, I also threw in strikeouts minus walks because they're the best in-season predictor, but I didn't look at them too hard because season to season, they, they are less powerful. Season to season, we do a better job of projecting home run rates. But in-season, strikeout minus walks is great. Uh, but So I just wanted to have that there in front of me. Uh, but I really focus mostly on stuff and command. And that's always been my passion from the beginning. The first conversation that I ever had about stuff was with Jeremy Greenhouse, who's with the, the Cubs front office right now. And uh, we had a conversation about it at a basketball game uh, that was a bunch of different writers in, in New York City. Uh, we had a basketball game. We talked about stuff afterwards. And he wrote this piece on baseballanalyst.com about stuff. And ever since then, I've been trying to put a number on stuff. I think we've finally gotten to a decent place with stuff. Command, though, had to be split out because it's a separate skill. 
Uh, and between those two skills uh, is uh, is the quality of a pitcher. And what I like about stuff in command is that they re- like you talk about batted ball noise and stuff. You talk about we used to think about BABIP and this and that. If you focus on stuff in command, all that stuff goes away. I mean, how good is a pitcher? He's as good as his stuff in command. Maybe there should be another column for deception. I think that comes out with Joey Lucchese because somebody said, hey, Joey Lucchese had an average strikeout rate last year for a starting pitcher. How did he do that with league bottom stuff and league bottom command? Like, how, how did he do that? And I would say it's because Joey Lucchese has probably the highest deception number in baseball. He throws from a weird angle. He throws a weird pitch. And, you know, those two things combined, like, obviously... Uh, Yusmera Petit has has taken deception. You know, he doesn't have great stuff. He has a pretty good command, but he's taken his high deception number to a full career in baseball. However, he's a reliever. And so that's been part of why Joey Lucchese is so low in my rankings is that I see the deception wears off over time. The more the batters see your unique angle and they see your unique pitch, the more they can hit it. So I, 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 I suggest that a steep drop-off is coming for Joey Lucchese. So an elite ability to disrupt a hitter's timing because of deception fades within a few seasons, you think, as hitters get multiple looks. My evidence is that is 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 a little bit Yusmero Petit-based, but Yusmero Petit used to have the worst third time through the order uh, penalties in baseball. And if you let someone see Yusmero Petit third time through the order, he's like one of the worst pitchers in baseball. And I just think that's you're in the game and he throws that invisible ball where his elbow comes forward and the ball pops up. Well, the first time you can't see it. The second time you can see it a little bit. And the third time you're all over it, you know. So I know Joey Lucchese has that herky jerky motion. and He comes way over the top and he throws a, you know, a, a change up with curveball mechanics or a curveball with change up mechanics. I can't remember which one it is. And between that, you know, there's a lot of deception. But the more people see him, man, I think it's I think it's going to fall away. I think that's a, a very logical hypothesis or a logical approach when it comes to uh, players like that. Now, I want to talk about the very top of the board because I think there is actually more of a debate within at least the top two, if not the entire top four among starters. Uh, you have Jacob deGrom just ahead of Garrett Cole. The difference is probably small for anybody that has Cole ahead of Degrom or Degrom ahead of Cole. But if you have the choice, you know you're taking Degrom. Why is that? What about Degrom? Is it that you like better? Two things. One, Jacob Degrom is the only pitcher in my sample, the only one that had a 110 plus stuff number and 110 plus command number. So basically, he's the only pitcher in baseball that has elite command and elite stuff. So I think that separates him too, uh, because Garrett Cole has like top 10 stuff. He has actually better stuff number than DeGrom, but he has a worse command number. He's a little bit more uh, traditional. A lot of, a lot of the aces have kind of league average command and, and outstanding stuff. That's, that's basically pitchers two through 10. They all have outstanding stuff and, and the average or a little bit slightly better command. Uh, Justin Verlander is the closest to DeGrom in terms of pairing the two skills. But DeGrom is younger than Verlander. Uh, And then the last thing is Park. Uh, Park and League. I'd rather have DeGrom in New York uh, at at City facing NL lineups than Cole at Yankee Stadium facing the AL East. 
it, we're 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 shaving uh, shaving hairs here. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> the, the German in me still comes out every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, um, shaving hairs. That's that's yes. you know what you often we're do with hair hairs. on your face and whatnot. So. <laughs> But yeah, DeGrom versus Cole, I think it is kind of a fun debate. Interesting, yeah, stuff and command favors DeGrom. The park thing is a big one, too. I, I think there's still a perception among some players and some people who follow baseball that Houston, because of the, the Crawford boxes, is a more hitter-friendly environment overall than it actually is. It's a pretty pitcher-friendly place to be. So when you consider that Cole has to go from a pitcher-friendly environment to a very hitter-friendly environment uh, to Yankee Stadium, that's actually a big park downgrade a big park change yeah he has elite skills but uh, i think you're you're right to see degrom in that environment especially as having a much softer landing spot for half his starts yeah the crawford boxes in in houston do provide a little bit of a homer boost there um you know i i think that's people like bregman they you know it's almost like in minnesota there's if you pull it down the line in minnesota you can get some homers but otherwise it's it's a tough park that's that's what Houston's like. It has one little area that you can aim for. The thing about Yankee Stadium is it has that area, right field, the right field porch, but then the rest of it's fairly home run friendly too. <laughs> so it's like it's like uh, it has its Crawford boxes basically, but it also has the rest is is also uh, pretty pretty home run friendly. Yeah, the interesting thing I just ran the the split leaderboard over at Fangraphs going back to 1990, so looking at 30 seasons. And just looking for starting pitcher war leaders, the Yankees don't have a season in the top thirty. There you go. It just it's not there. Like they're they're guys that pitched for the Yankees later who had top thirty seasons. They had the best bullpen of any. Like the if you just like added up all the war for their bullpen of that time, they nailed it. They're number one by far. They've been building super bullpens forever, but starting pitching. Yeah, that Pedro season, 1999, holy cow. He had a 139 FIP over 213 in the third innings. That is that is. And he so was gross. one of those first pitchers to have like a 12K9 over 250, you know, like he was nuts. Yeah, he really was. Uh, let's talk about a few other early pitchers and, and just get some thoughts on some guys that are somewhat controversial at the top of the board. Uh, Chris Sale, to me, is really just all health. I think we both have him inside our, our top eight, so I don't think there's a whole lot for us to dive into there. But I think there's a couple guys that people just can't seem to agree on, and, and one of them is, is Lucas Giolito. Uh, you and I differ as much on Giolito as we do, I think, on any pitcher inside of our top 50s. I had him at 17. You got him at 29. What are your concerns with Lucas Giolito you know, relative to other pitchers that are high up on your list. It's not so much the stuff, you know, I think that that's what he proved last year is that he kind of got his stuff back. He got right back on the fastball. He found his old release point. Everything kind of came together. That was the stuff that we thought Giolito had coming up. And that, that was the stuff he kind of recaptured. And so in, in terms of his stuff number, he actually has a higher stuff number than some of the guys ahead of him, like Carlos Carrasco Zach Greinke, Aaron Nola, uh, Patrick Corbin, Jack Flaherty even. Uh, so he has the stuff. Uh, the problem is he has the lowest command plus number uh, in the top 30 other than Patrick, uh, other than Tyler Glasnow. And Glasnow's stuff is just like blistering. It's kind of like 
a closer who can throw five innings. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's what he looks like. He's got the 100, 145 stuff number, like just a ridiculous stuff number way out in front. I think second is like maybe Cole with 126. So like Glass now is just like way out in front. But he also has the worst command plus number. Now Giolito, his command plus is 96, so it's closer to average. Uh, but it's also the lowest of the of the grouping. So basically what I'm saying is you look at Giolito's history, look at his walk rates uh, coming up. Even when he had the kind of good stuff and he was the young guy coming up, he was walking people. I'm saying the walk rate's going to come back. And I could see it being uh, in the high threes. And last year it was in, it was like 2.5. So, you know, even the projections, I think, are not catching the downside of his of his command. Yeah, an 8.1% walk rate last year. I'm just looking at the pitchers I have ranked ahead of him. Only Blake Snell was higher among the pitchers that I have ahead of Giolito. And it was only by a little bit, 8.4%. Uh, Snell's a guy that I, we agree on, I would say, in terms of our, our rankings. But the same kind of underlying problem is there. And I think with the injury a year ago, I mean, the the shower pedestal injury or whatever that really was, like, <laughs> I, I can't really ding him for that. It just sounds like some sort of I wonder of if there were accident. two athletic sex um, injuries last year. <laughs> it sure seems like it. The Correa one was like you were do, you were what you you, you got you got a rib broken while getting a massage like who's your masseuse I mean like that's, yeah. that's outrageous sorry so what were you saying I just think with with Blake Snell I think he's one of those guys that some people are a little bit hesitant to buy into as uh, an ace I guess you'd say I know he had the big season in 2018. Uh, with the missed time last year, some durability concerns, and then with high walk rates, even when he was really good. I mean, that amazing 2018 season, he had a 9.1% walk rate. That's below average for that range in your rankings. He had ended up having average command. I think the big thing for him was the slider, not because the slider added a ton of stuff for him, but because he can command it. So now he has fastball and slider command, and he can use the curve kind of in the plate on the plate and stuff, you know what I mean? He can miss, he can miss kind of bigger with the curve. Um, so I think, uh, and this actually is relevant to someone that's a little bit lower on the, on the list. Um, Max freed. So I, I think that I may want to change my rankings for Max freed because when I did, uh, the command and stuff, uh, sort of, uh, grouping together where I took their different pitches and weighted it and put it together. Uh, I found Max Fried had below average stuff and below average command. And that's why he ended up uh, 44th on my list, despite good strikeout minus walk totals, uh, good, what looked like decent stuff. Someone brought up the fact that in September he threw the slider. He was throwing the slider twice as much, three times as much as he was at the beginning of the season. That's relevant because the slider had the best stuff number and the slider had the best command number. And a little bit of a maybe a mini Snell breakout here. And what I might need to do is look at people who really changed their pitch mix in September and then reweight their command and stuff numbers by their their final pitch mix. I should ask then, I think this is probably a question that just popped into a lot of people's heads. How quickly can you trust command? Or to borrow one of your words, how sticky is command? 
Well, in terms of year-to-year stickiness, command uh, beats walk rate. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it would be one of the better year to year, uh, R's out there. So I did, uh, 2018 to 2019 and the R was 0.79. Uh, it's fairly good. Walk rates are about 0.66. So it captures more, uh, more than just walk rate does it. So that's good in terms of how quickly does it stabilize in a given season? Um, I think it, I think the pitch mix example shows you that it can it is valuable and it becomes uh, it stabilizes faster than walk rate, but it can be susceptible to changes in pitch mix, and I think that's command stuff are like the sort of this what happens uh, what the reasons why people change their pitch mix. Oh, you know Max Fried found I have this better slider by stuff and I can command it better than my curve, so I'm going to change my mix and it. Like thinking about Max Fried and Blake Snell, I don't think Max Fried has the same upside as Snell because he doesn't have the same overall velocity. Um, but there's a very similar thing that happened there: is he found the slider and got a lot better, and that's that that shows up on the on the granular sort of pitch type uh, metrics as well. There's another column in your rankings for those who are kind of looking at them while listening to the episode. Uh, it's the NFBC ADP. Mike Clevenger is firmly inside the top 10 among pitchers, and he's the only one inside the top 10 with that command plus score under 100. Uh, Obviously, he missed some time with injuries last season. Uh, Do you believe that there is... uh, Obviously, you believe there's good enough stuff for him to justify a top 10 ranking, but do you think there is hope for him on the command plus front where he can kind of inch his way at least above the 100 mark and more closely resemble the other pitchers at the top of the board. I don't know. When I look at his delivery, I don't think so. It's a, it's a crazy delivery. I mean, I love watching it and it seems really scary. And I think it actually, I think how scary his delivery is makes his change up play up. But I just think that it's going to have long-term effects. I don't like people are kind of treating this last injury as a freak injury, but given just looking at his delivery, I don't think it's that freak of an injury. So, you know, Bieber, it's funny in terms of profile, Bieber has a lower uh, stuff number. Yeah. But Bieber is a little bit like a mini DeGrom. He's got 106 uh, stuff number and he's got 107 command number, right? He's there's, it's very rare to have, to be even at that level. The guys over 105 in both of them uh, include Verlander, uh, Strasburg, uh, Castillo, Woodruff, Syndergaard, and List. So when you can have both, I will pick you. I think that Bieber is going to have a longer career in terms of innings pitched. I think he's going to have a longer uh, usefulness in terms of results and i just think it's easier to depend on him and there's a slight little bit about those uh, pitchers with command aging better and, and staying healthy more because there was this whole thing about billy bean saying that i trust strike throwers i think they stay they stay healthy and jeff zimmerman found a, a little bit of a whiff of truth to that i guess if you think about 
guys who throw a lot of strikes, they would have good command. And if you have good command, you probably have repeatable mechanics. If you're repeating yeah. your mechanics, you're less likely to hurt yourself. Whereas if That's there's an imbalance process. in your mechanics, yeah, you're going to hurt an oblique, hurt an elbow, shoulder, whatever it is, depending on what exactly your mechanical flaw is, the injury that you're most susceptible to might vary. The thing about Shane Bieber that's really interesting is I remember when he came up and we talked about him on a, a Sirius XM show. We used to do this thing called Farm Friday. They still do it. It's uh, James Anderson and Clay Link now. And James and I were talking about Bieber. And one fear we had when he was called up was that he would just live too much in the zone with stuff yeah. that wasn't good enough, based on scouting reports at least, for him to ever get by without having a high home run rate. Like he just yeah, looked he, like he was always going to have a high home run rate, and that played out. It's played out so far, but it's but I interesting think, that the stuff like it, it's actually really good stuff. Like Shane Bieber has exceeded expectations by a lot compared to what most people expected him to become as a prospect. Yeah, and I and I think that there is a command control thing. That one thing that that always gets in my head about command versus so command is supposedly. You know, can you do with the pitch what you want to do with it? And control is supposedly, uh, can you hit the zone? To me, it's always like, well, then command is superior to control. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, like, there's some guys who, like, generally know where the strike zone is and can kind of throw towards the strike zone, uh, but don't have great command. Um, that's what I think of with, like, Clevenger and, and Carlos Carrasco and stuff. Um, but if you say to someone like Bieber, like, oh, you're living too much in the zone, and he has good command, then he can widen the zone. He can aim a little bit further out, you know? And I think that's honestly what he did. I think he he cut back on the fastballs a little bit, and he tried to, you know, uh, throw a little bit higher and a little bit further out uh, than he had been. And, uh, and his home run rate uh, was much better in the second half. And you do get to a point, I think, if you locate well enough, you throw pitches that look like they might be getting the zone and they're actually out of the zone. So yeah. you have hitters chasing that's, that's harder pitches, pitches to I hit. Mean, that's, yeah. that's what you want. That's what you want. And I think if you've got good command, you can do that. So, um, you know, one of, the thing, one of the most interesting things to me on this, and it, it doesn't smell right, but we, you know, I talked to the researcher over at Driveline, Dan Elkoin, about it, and you know, we maybe there's something we're missing. I mean, we're still trying to research all this, but Max Sertzer shows up at having like basically uh, average, slightly above average stuff, and showed up better in Command Plus than he did in stuff, which is just weird. Yeah, I, I would not have expected that. I don't know if anybody who watches Scherzer pitch even once in a while would have thought that. There's a relationship between, and that's why in my thing I mentioned demonstrated results. At some point, demonstrated results takes over because there's do, they're doing something you're not capturing, right? And so, you know, I, I, I struggled a little bit with, uh, like Noah Syndergaard. His command and stuff numbers together suggest that he could be as high as fifth or sixth in the league. I mean, he has better... He has better uh, stuff numbers than Luis Castillo and better command numbers than Luis Castillo. And I have Castillo ninth. So shouldn't I have Syndergaard higher? Well, Syndergaard's demonstrated results over the last three years have kind of been just okay. Right. And I think 
something you, you touched on before is like you're isolating skills and, and removing things like framing. But when you start putting those things back in, because mm-hmm. they do exist. Uh, and you have to. It, you have to. Like, Herman Marquez looks okay in this, should be higher, but she pitches in cores. Like, I'm not going to ignore that. Right. Like, yeah. And I, I, oh, man. I, I feel. I don't feel very bad for the Rockies often, but I do feel bad in like this Greek tragedy sort of way that their oh. their best tradable asset can't really help them as much as he would help anybody else. Like that, right. that really sucks <laughs> if you're the Rockies, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a terrible way to have to, to go about your business. He's so much more valuable being traded somewhere else, not just to like us as fantasy players and to himself as uh, how much how much value he can create, but they're better off trading him than keeping him, even though he he should be the kind of guy that like, hey, you you won, like you made a good trade for him, and he's he's helping you, but he's not helping you because of your environment, and that that's just unfortunate. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up Cindergard. I mean, you, you oh, I forgot two other guys in my 105 plus 105 plus grouping. Oh, and I just want to say real quick, Wheeler and Barrios. Yeah, I, I've I've heard some pretty interesting takes on on Brios recently, and. We'll get to him, I think, in just a minute. Yeah. Cindergard was one of those guys I was going to bring up on today's pod, so I'm kind of glad you just brought him up uh, on your own because I, I still, even with the flaws, even with his inability to control the running game, even with that propensity to occasionally uh, give up home runs more than you think a guy with that stuff should. And the home run rate wasn't bad last year in the year of the rabbit ball when you compare it to other mm-hmm. pitchers around the league. Because he still has the... Stuff. Yeah, I just I keep looking at him and saying no, like this this is gonna happen. Noah Syndergaard is still going to be an ace. Like I I just I can't get past that. And the price has really never been lower since he's become Thor. At least if you look at his ADP right now, he's fallen just outside the top seventy overall. So there are twenty two, twenty three starters going ahead of him in most rooms. Like that that seems like so, a bargain to me. I am so in, dude. This, he's probably my number one value in the in the in the top twenty, and and he has the stuff, he has the command, and one thing that I think is missing from our conversation is he has a new pitching coach, and I really think that could help him because he's been going to the two seamer too often. The whole league is going to the four seamer. Get the strikeouts. Your your velocity and movement on your pitches is going to reduce the number of home runs. Don't worry about home runs. Don't throw the two seamer to avoid home runs. Throw the four seamer to get whiffs. And I have a ho- I have a lot of hope for Jeremy Hefner, who is one of the pitchers I listed, one of the players I listed, uh, former players I listed as a as a good pitching future pitching coach. They they hired him there, and I think I think it go it could go really well for him. Poached from the Twins, right? Mm-hmm. And the Twins, I think, are are doing great things with their pitchers. So yeah, th- uh, along with the Reds, those are the two teams that I think last year took the biggest step forward in terms of how they were handling pitching, and they've put themselves in the circle of trust. So imagine the Mets <laughs> with that talent being in the group of, of of teams whose pitching philosophy we could trust. That would make things yeah, very I mean, interesting. I think the the projections already like the Mets. You know, the Mets are are right there with the Nationals. I think in terms of projections, if they run with it they could go they could go pretty far because if if they run with it it means Syndergaard is an ace and then all of a sudden you got two aces at the top of your uh, your top of your rotation and who knows like Matt's even has some upside so like you know and then you've got all these veterans behind them 
I, I think there's a there's a chance for that rotation to be really, really good. Since we're on the Mets, let's talk about Marcus Stroman. I had him kind of buried in my rankings at 84. You get him up at 49. I think he was one of the pitchers in the middle of the pack that we were um, you know, furthest apart on. What do you like about Stroman at this point, in addition to some of the things we, we just talked about? I mean, it seems like I'm, I'm missing the mark a little bit on him. And relative to the just the ADP market, maybe I'm a little closer to where he goes. But if you have him as a top 50 guy and the market has him as a fringy like top 75 guy, he's going to be a player that ends up on the roster of a lot of people reading your work and listening to this podcast. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, just the fact that his stuff is good, you know, and, you know, there's a little bit of just like, oh, look, he's got, you know, 110 stuff and league average command, like that belongs, you know, in that grouping where he's at, um, you know, it's, it's certainly uh, better than, you know, the Miles Mikolas, you know, Madison Bumgarner, Lance Lynn grouping was where you have good command and below average stuff. So I, 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 you know, I'm a stuffist. Stuffist, nice. <laughs> I'm a stuffist, so I had Stroman up a little higher. But then on top of that, there's the fact that he, as the season went on, changed his pitching mix. I and mean, with the Mets, he was a little bit different in terms of his pitching mix. And he kind of went to the cutter more. Um, he went to the cutter more than the slider and uh, reduced the slider one and kind of became fastball cutter using the slider. His slider is almost like a curveball. So he almost became more of a fastball slider pitcher where he used the curveball as a third pitch. Um, and it's a, kind of a different mix than he's really had for a while. Um, if you just look at you know what happened after he started doing that, uh, let's just use uh, August 1st. It's an easy, easy uh, beginning date. Uh, he had a 3.61 ERA uh, with eight strikeouts per nine. Uh, Babbitt was fine home run rate, uh, below one, like it's always been for him. And, uh, I think he can do that. I think he can have like a three, five, three, six ERA and anybody who can have under a four ERA to me, uh, should be, you know, top 60 at least. Well, and I think home run suppression is a skill that he's really owned for all of his yeah. career. Yeah. So that helps in the uh, uncertain age that we're in as far as the ball and uh, how homer-friendly the 2019 season was, at least. Uh, let's kind of flash back closer to the top end of the list, talk about a couple other interesting names that are up there. Uh, Corey Kluber uh, came up on the show I did with Matt Medica uh, yesterday as a guy that had great results just over a year ago. I mean, Corey Kluber was elite year over year for multiple seasons, and in an injury-shortened year, it just kind of seems like people have given up on the idea that he could be a sub-3 ERA guy with a whip near or below 1. And is it the thing we brought up last week with the uh, durable for a long time, but then he broke down, and now people don't trust him? Like, What do you think is going on with Kluber, and where do you fall in him for 2020? I'm working on a piece about pitcher bounce backs that started with basically just taking Steamer and comparing this projected season to last season, finding the 10 most uh, bounce-backiest pitchers, and then kind of diving in on five of those. I'm diving in on Kluber. And one thing that I found already is that Kluber lost more Command Plus year over year from 2018 to 2019 than all but two or three pitchers. And... 
it's funny how we normally think of injury as maybe robbing you of stuff. Like you have an injury, oh, he's not going to throw it as hard. He's not going to crisply, you know, bite that slider off or whatever. Kluber actually ended up where he was because he still had a good stuff number. That's because his two breaking pitches are elite. It's not necessarily off his fastball, which had a below average stuff number. But with those three pitches, I think he can still he still has good stuff. The injuries totally robbed him of his command, and he's a command guy. Last year he had below average command, and I would say you know if you put if you plug in his 2018 command, if he gets back to that, if he can, I think that's a big part of what happens with injuries that he's they're pulling they're, the, the the oblique is pulling at the wrong level. It's not pulling hard enough, or it's this or that, or you know all of a sudden his arms two inches this way, or you know what I mean? It's like. Command is is where these things really come out, is where the body really can fail you. And if he can get back to his old command level, then he should belong in the top fifteen. Honestly, he has stuff numbers that that would that hang out up there if he had even league average command. So I struggle with where to put him because what if that command doesn't come back just because there were so many injuries and the market rate on Kluber. The, the baseball market rate, the real-life market rate, shows that baseball doesn't think Corey Kluber's got it anymore. I don't know, though. Like I, I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Like, Do you think... We don't really know if the Cleveland front office did a great job you know, shopping Corey Kluber around. We don't know for sure how exactly they see emmanuel classe and and the return they got compared to how we all see it i mean could this Mm -hmm. just be like when someone in your league makes a dumb trade and one already good owner just gets a a better player than they should because somebody made a mistake like i I know on the other hand you could say well cleveland knows Corey kluber and his injury as well as anybody and they're willing to give him up for that package so there is something that's a little bit off there but i I think i just don't i think the missing part is the money if you're, if you're Cleveland, you've been cutting money for so long, everybody knows you want to cut money. Right? So the the conversation almost becomes tinged with, uh, oh, well, I know one of your goals is to cut money. So even if this isn't a straight salary dump, Corey Kluber's $18 million is a bigger deal to you than to me. Oh, it's, it's such a stupid thing that's happening with so many teams in the league right now. And I... I I I understand the rationale behind the thinking and understanding that you know there is risk. I still want to take that risk at that price. I think there's a good enough chance that Corey Kluber can be that top 15 pitcher at the price of a guy that you get at the end of maybe the sixth round of a 15 team draft. Like I, if he's my my second starting pitcher, I'm very happy with that. I think uh, we talked about Texas and the ballpark changes there. It's going to become at least. A little more pitcher friendly, maybe a lot more. We don't know what the magnitude of that shift is going to be, but a climate controlled ballpark in Arlington should be more pitcher friendly than a non climate controlled ballpark in Arlington. Yes, no. The, the park, the park should be not as big a factor as some people will think. I think you know, going from Cleveland to Texas, but. Um, you know, and I think this brings up a little bit of something I didn't cover in my piece, which is general pitching strategy this year. And I saw a really interesting thread between Mike Gianella and Rudy of Rasball that they were talking about how the efficacy of going after more stop, top starting pitching. And 
Gianella correctly, I think, pointed out that the top 15 pitchers return more value than any other grouping of pitchers. But Rudy pushed back and said that a lot of that value came from the top two starting pitchers, and those top two starting pitchers weren't necessarily taken one-two. Right? That's true. So it's a good it's good to shop in the top 15, but we don't necessarily know which of the top 15 is going to be number one this year. So I've been adjusting my pitching strategy to invest a little bit more in pitching over time because I thought I could just find great pitchers. I don't know the ball is part of it. It's harder to find back-end pitchers that pop the same way just because the home run rates are crazy. Uh, but also, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone was doing that. And so if everyone's shopping in the late game, starting pitcher, you start, you start having those end of drafts where everyone's like, especially if you publish lists of your pitchers you like, where everyone's just like nabbing all the guys you like, um, because they're all shopping in the same late starting pitching bucket. So I'm willing to, to increase my investment in starting pitching, but I think I'm going to step back from last year when I tried to get two aces a bunch of times. I think it's just too much risk. There's risk up and down. Steven Strasburg, you know, injury risk. Chris Sale, injury and performance risk, really. Um, uh, Shane, there's a lot of people at the top that have only really done it for one year, like Shane Bieber, Walker Bueller, uh, Luis Castillo. You can maybe even say Blake Snell. There's a fair amount of one-year guys. Jack Flaherty's already up there. So there's the risk that they just aren't as good as that one year, even though we think the metrics all lined up for it. Um, and so, like, I may have a lot of leagues where I wait, and my top two pitchers are, you know, Syndergaard and Kluber. You know, that sounds risky, but then, you know, what I've done is I've, I have a lot of good hitters, and then I can hit the middle rounds, when all these people that took two and three starting pitchers at the top have to go for hitters, in the middle rounds, I can take more interesting guys. So maybe my third pitcher is Brandon Woodruff, you know? I mean, and my fourth pitcher is Zach Gallen or, or, or Trevor Bauer, you know? I'm, 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 trying to add, I'm trying to push together at the top. I'm trying to get more top 50 pitchers, but maybe I'm not going to focus on getting two or three top 15 pitchers because that just takes so much money that takes so much auction money it takes so many high draft picks it takes it takes so much investment to get that um you know i I think i had one league last year where i went uh bauer bauer snell one two in the second and third rounds and you know i I felt pretty good about it at the time well and and injuries significantly altered your fortune in that case i mean bauer yeah, well, pitched bauer hurt just, and snell yeah, that's right, had yeah. his weird accident yeah <laughs> but i but that, that i mean that's the thing pitchers get injured more often they get they they stay injured longer it's still it's still true to this day so it's still worth uh there's also there's also more hitters on your team yep right almost every starting lineup in fantasy baseball has more hitters do you think that's a flaw in our game, by the way? Well, it ends up making the bench mostly pitchers. Yeah, I just wonder. In a deeper league, I've seen deeper leagues that shave hitters away from the active lineup to make that a little bit more balanced. But I just wonder if that's on the list of things that our rotisserie founding fathers may have got wrong 
Uh, the two catcher thing is the thing that is clearly wrong. <laughs> we've we've covered that before. <laughs> yeah, no one should ever do that. <laughs> that should uh, we, we, that should not should be defended. Die anymore. a fiery death. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a mistake. Uh, uh, we we owe the founding fathers of rotisserie a great debt uh, for making yeah. this awesome game that we still enjoy and and play. But they got that wrong, and we can we can fix that. That's fixable. <laughs> fourteen nine. I, I could see the the fourteen to nine split being something that gets a lot more contentious if that becomes part of the conversation. Well, you know, in the major leagues right now, there's ba- basically a mandated thirteen thirteen. Yeah, uh, because there's twenty six roster spots, and they said basically thirteen have to be no more than thirteen can be pitchers. So, well, anyway, we'll we'll get away from the uh, rules related stuff and talk about a few more pitchers <laughs> on this episode. Uh, I think there's kind of a funny difference between a couple guys on the list uh, that you put together and that I put together. Jesus Lazardo, Denelson Lamette, they're next to each other on both of our lists, but there's a, almost a 20-pick gap in terms of where they are on those lists. Um, and and I, I think we were talking about Denelson Lamette a little bit before we started recording. He's looking like one of those guys who's going to keep creeping up in terms of ADP because just about everybody out there in our industry seems to like him and Mm -hmm. if that's sort of a consensus opinion that usually kind of moves adp up i mean the more that that idea of nelson lamette possibly being an undervalued potential ace or maybe an sp2 that you get after pick 100 or whatever his ceiling is it's higher than the price right now what concerns do you have about denelson lamette even as someone who ranked him quite a bit higher than i did yeah, I have definite concerns, and in fact, uh, may want to to look at his ranking in particular. Here are the uh, top. I'll go. I'll go. I have him like forty one. I'm gonna go all the way down to seventy five. Okay, top seventy five pitchers with the below ninety command plus. Denelson Lamette. Oh, who's that? Garrett Richards, Josh James, full stop. And I mention that because, you know, uh, Glassnow's close. He's got the, the where's, where's Glassnow now? He's got a 90, right? So he's right there, 90.3. So I mention that because I, I, I think there's like a, necess- there's like a, there's like a, a threshold you have to pass to be a starter. And I, if you look at the bottom of Command Plus and you don't do anything sorting for how many pitches they've thrown, it's all relievers. It's like all relievers. And Joey Lucchese. And the the problem is that like you can see it with Denelson Lamette. He only pitches five innings. He only has two pitches. His third time through the order penalty is bad. And these are all Command and Arsenal related things. And yeah, his fastball and slider are great. But a lot of times I get a kind of a Chris Archer vibe. I was going to say, I think you just described Chris Archer. Like, and I just think about how much the fantasy community, including me, like liked him and expected more from him year over year. Uh, Is there any reason to think it could be different? I'm, I'm wondering if that evidence is out there at all. Well, I mean, one thing is that Lamette plays in the national league. So what what was the source of Archer's problems was always home runs. And 
you know, if you can just get a free couple of outs from the pitcher that can push you into the fifth fifth inning and then they can take you out before the lefty that would hit the home run would hit the home run. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also means he's not going to be up for a lot of wins. And it also means that his innings and strikeout totals are going to be a little bit lower than you'd expect given his number of games started. Yeah, that's that was always a, a thing that Archer managed to get around. Like his, he, he was so durable to strike out so many. He, yeah, but he, but he, and they let him in. They said let him in the game like he, like he was the, like more of an ace. But I think probably looking at his strikeout minus walk totals, like we all were. But you know, I have Archer fairly high because I, like I said, I'm a stuffist and he's got the stuff. And there's a there's a backstory too where he kind of reverted back to his. Uh, his old pitching mix and had a, a slightly better second half. So I have him in the top 60, but maybe Lamette shouldn't be 30 or like 22 away from Chris Archer. Yeah. I had him with Jesus Lazardo lower than you and lower than the field. And Lazardo's totally different because I think there's a lot of polish there for a pitcher, especially at that age. Uh, stuff's not really a concern. It's really innings. It's innings just, it's risk, just innings yeah. for me that, that have me, hesitant to buy into Jesus Lazardo at the price he's going for in early NFC drafts. That reveals a bias on my part, which I think league to league is either a good bias or bad bias, which is that given how few people are now, uh, you know, qualified starting pitchers last year, we had 61 qualified starting pitchers given how few people are actually throwing more than 170 innings. And Joe Musgrove was a qualified starting pitcher with 170 innings. So we're talking about, you know, people that pitch 175 plus innings. We've got 61 of them. Let me, let me just make it 170 and see what that is. 51. We had 51 starting pitchers that threw 170 innings last year. And they weren't so, all good. No, they weren't. Um, But, uh, yeah, let me see. Who's the worst that pitched 170 innings? Mike Leak. I don't don't, don't mean to make fun of Mike Leak all the time because showing up and throwing a lot of big league innings is still impressive. It just doesn't help us in our game. Oh, and look, Jeff Samarja, third worst, third worst pitcher that threw 170 innings. Hmm. You wouldn't think anyway. that based on some of the reactions to uh, where he <laughs> was or was not placed on your list. But I will say that uh, that because of that, I've become more interested in quality innings. And I've, I guess you know, some of my, a lot of my leagues are adding DL slots because there's been so much use of them. A lot of my leagues have gone to unlimited DL, and. If you're telling me I could have 125 really awesome innings from Jesus Lazardo, unlimited DL slot, and the opportunity to then try and fill in the next 50 innings with streamers or just flavor of the month or pop-up starters or, you know, there's always a lot of starting pitching over the course of a season that pops up that we didn't expect. So, you know, Jesus Lazardo at 125 plus replacement level is is very interesting to me. So, as long as you, as long as I thought you could get to a hundred innings, I would only then consider injury risk on a granular level. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I think Jesus Lazardo is like a top forty, top thirty type talent with his arm. 
So I moved him down to 41 because of injury risk, but not much further than that. Well, yeah, I think there probably is some some overestimation of how much a typical starter can throw and is allowed to throw mm-hmm. at this point. Like that 200 benchmark is is still something that our our brains revert to, but that's just it's becoming Wait, less I common. Know how many 200s? I'm gonna guess 12. Oh, good guess, 15. Yeah, I, I probably looked it up at some point. I mean, it, it's it's just a shorter list than than we all think or would want it to be. Yeah, I'm not penciling, and you know, my I think my average starter, I would think my average starter is going to be get, get 175. And yeah, if I have Luzardo and Urias on my roster, then maybe my next pitcher, instead of being Lance McCullers, will be Miles Mikolas. You know, where I kind of try to balance a little bit more towards innings. I think it's funny that there there are guys like you know Musgrove and, and Miles Michaelis, maybe even Josh Lindblom is like this too. We'd, more of a guessing game with him, of course, having been uh, in the KBO for the, the better part of the last three years. But they they all seem very interchangeable to me, and that's how they end up kind of buried in my rankings. I just feel like if I miss out on any one of those three, or if I miss out on two of those three, I'll just take the third guy. And I wonder if I pull mm. those guys too far down in my rankings because of how replaceable I perceive them to be. Hmm. I, you know, there is a weird thing where things, uh, because of the way, like I would th- throw people in tiers at first and then kind of try to sort out the tiers uh, generally after that. But because of like how I kind of just tried to like fast appraise, appraise someone, they ended up near each other. So definitely the fact that Jesus Lazardo and Julio Urias are right next to each other is not an accident. It is an accident, but it's not like it. They're both high stuff, decent to to better command, with some injury, with some uh, not necessarily injury, but some some innings uh, risk and some playing time risk. But that's where they that's where those ended up. Like I have a couple of those, like um, Lance McCullers and Jose Urquidy are right near each other. Um, oh Bauer, to me Bauer and and Darvish are are very similar players. Um, yeah, you definitely start to see it. Like I have a group, I have a grouping here. That Masahiro Tanaka, totally boring, not much uh, potential to be much better than his than his auction price projected for a zero dollar value. I've got him sixty seven. Get the get the boring stuff out of the way, and the next run is super exciting. Mitch Keller, Spencer Turnbull, Josh James, Dylan C, Sandy Alcantara, Adrian Hauser. You know, like that's a that's a real fun grouping. You know, and it's like, do I take the boring, you know, oatmeal guy, or do I take a shot? And and it's also because I'm I'm aware that like a lot of players uh, play in leagues where only the top 75, 80 pitchers matter. So if you're getting down to the end of your league, what names do I want you to to go after? Turnbull, James, Cease. <laughs> I want those to be your last pitcher because they have the opportunity to be much better than that. Yeah, I might need to rethink Spencer Turnbull. I think I might have him a little bit too buried in my ranks. One name in particular that you mentioned there that pretty affordable in most leagues and everyone wants to stay away from the tigers because they're they're bad at least until they bring up the the young starters but turnbull i think might be good enough to stick in that rotation even after the likes of matt manning and casey mize and uh, Tariq skubal all those guys get added into the fold in the next year or so 
but yeah, it, it's funny how that works. I mean, like this is kind of a, a flaw in rankings that doesn't. I think it touches on something that our, our friend Todd Zola brought up. He did this thing called uh, Toddcast. It was like a short ten minute bit uh, that he posted. He posted up on his, his Twitter account yesterday, and he was talking about how there's this sort of this quality that a good fantasy player has that you really can't describe very well. Like it, it's just a, it's an intuition almost in the roster construction process at the auction table or at the draft table, and putting that process into a list especially is really tough to do like maybe you could write about your process if you have this ability and try to explain it in different ways but it's not going to be reflected in rankings and I realized that when I was putting my list together I had a bunch of prospects that I would take a chance on at the very bottom of my list I'm talking about guys like uh, Julio Rodriguez and uh, you know uh, Jared Kelnick and uh, Drew Waters, the guys that could come up this season but probably won't. Mm. And where the intuition comes in is in a certain type of league, I will have a player like that, mm. and I'll jump them over a player that I have ranked higher. Because but you can't put that on the rankings. You can't put that on the rankings because there's a, a really low probability that those guys even yeah. see half a season in the big leagues. But I know that the payoff is worth, you know rostering them in certain instances and I have to selectively pick my spots whereas like Mm -hmm. there's just no there's no good way to explain that in a list um yeah and I think that I think the 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 the, what you're getting at is that like league settings are almost everything you know where your particular league is going to have a quirk somewhere in it that that there is no vanilla league there is we have to make rankings to to the, the largest portion of these leagues, but there are no vanilla leagues. And so if you're in a super deep league, maybe it seems ridiculous to put Dylan Cease over Caleb Smith, you know, because Caleb Smith has a job and has demonstrated results and pitches in a nice park. And, but to me, he had below average stuff, below average command. He, his velocity fell off last year. He's much more Masahiro Tanaka to me than he's Dylan Cease. But the deeper your league is, the more you want Caleb Smith than, than, and Masahiro Tanaka than too many shots in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the the size of the league you know, obviously shapes how much uh, talent is available on the waiver wire. And the more talent there is available or the, the higher the quality of that talent that you can use to replace players in your roster in season, the more aggressive you can be with you know injury risk players or with prospects who might not have a job right away because you can go and find what you need you know after the fact you can you can see how the end of spring training plays out and final cuts and, and injuries and all the things that could lead to an unexpected uh, prospect hitting a roster you can gamble on that and then not really pay any sort of significant price for it in the long run because uh, you were able to go ahead and just pick up Joe Musgrove because it was a 10 team mixed league. Like I think that leads me to take players like Musgrove and probably rank them a little bit lower than they're actually going to be taken in, in a lot of leagues that might be more like 15 team leagues. Like I, I try to think about 15 team leagues and how I'd play them as the basis of my rankings, but there's still mm-hmm. certain tendencies I have as a player that are, are going to influence the way I, I put players up against each other on these lists. Yeah, yeah. And Musgrove, to me, is in a really interesting grouping. Luke Weaver, Joe Musgrove, Jake Odorizzi, Andrew Haney. Those four pitchers in a row have slightly below average stuff and very good command. And 
you know, I kind of, you can almost see it. It's almost like this DNA helix that kind of goes back and forth with the stuff and command numbers. Like I'm a stuff is so, you know, there's a whole group of, of guys that there's that have the stuff with good command. And then when I have to choose the first time I chose stuff, uh, command over stuff really, uh, was the Granky Nola Corbin grouping, right? Those, those, that's the back end because they have elite command and, and fa- and fading stuff, right? Or, or averages stuff. Then I go back to stuff for a while. I go back to stuff for a while. And then the next group that I could, that are command forward are Soroka Hendricks and Eduardo Rodriguez and Hunjin Rue. Okay. That makes sense. Then I go back to stuff for a while. And then I come back with Luke Weaver, Musgrove, Odorizzi and Haney. So I am still trying to, to feel out the relationship between stuff and, and, and command. Uh, but I think that there might be sort of, there's gotta be some interactive effects and there's gotta be like, if you're elite, you know, if you're glass now, you can handle a 90 command plus, but if you're Zach Gallon, you had a 90 command plus, you like might be a fifth starter, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, there is, there, there's like a stretching effect where like, if you're a lead at something, but it, but a lead at command, Joe Musgrove is a lead at command. How far that can that take him? Keuchel, elite at command. And doesn't it seem like we underrate Keuchel most years? I think we do because of the U word. You know, I, I think it's, it's, we just, we don't see the rapid value increase potential. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> or, or upside, <laughs> as, other, as some people might call it. We rapid value. <laughs> like, I've, I've been using the word potential for a lot more recently. I think that's your fault. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, it it was it was more of just a hey, let's try and describe what we mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More words than than one. Any one word could be the crutch word of the problem in this case. So yeah, maybe our- I, I had a, I had a pitching coach, a major league pitching coach telling me that Dallas Keuchel's ability to, to put the, the split, the, the, the sinker and the change up in the exact same place is unparalleled. And that would kind of fall into a similar bucket for me as something like the deception we talked about with Joey Lucchese. I realize it's a different yeah. mechanism, but it's this, it's this very unique skill that he might possess far above other players in the pool that enables him to get better results than you'd expect compared to his raw stuff scores and his command scores. And it's mm-hmm. going to enable him to beat uh, you know, ERA indicators and it's going to leave us yeah, all just frustrated year over year. But then you keep looking so at it. There's so many people that, that have crazy-ass deliveries and we have a word for them. It's called relievers. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, I, we'll I just see. thought of Carter Caps when you said that. Yeah, my God, can you imagine Carter Caps trying to start a game? It, it would, it would, like how many five-hour game? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> he would, he would strike out twenty and walk twenty. Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of fun to watch like one time. But there is one uh, disagreement we have that's kind of germane to this discussion. Uh, I had Matt Boyd 40, and you had him, what did you have him? Low. Um, 58. Yeah. I mean, it's still like... I actually have a note here next to Matt Boyd's name. It says down. So I think you've convinced me. One of the things that's really interesting is he has the lowest stuff in my top 75. Hmm. And it doesn't come with elite command. 
it comes with above average command. I think, but I was looking at his strikeout minus walk total, and, and his strikeout minus walk total is better than the the sort of eight pitchers ahead of him on my rankings. He's kind of interesting in the sense that he get traded to a much better team, and that would prop up his value, but it doesn't necessarily change who he is as a pitcher, right? Like there, there's room for the value to go up for factors that are out of his control. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I just, I kind of wondered if if the league just figured him out. Like he had a plan, it was working, it was getting him more strikeouts, it led him to the sub four ERA in the mm. first half. But if he's been solved, and he might not have anything to fall back on for a counter adjustment to get back to that first half level. Well, I have something for you. We had a about a forty five minute conversation in September. Part of that led to a piece that I did on the work he's doing on his body in terms of uh, muscle activation technique and DNA testing for diet and all that stuff. And half of it's bunk science, and we'll know about the other half. But uh, the beginning of that conversation with Matt Boyd was about pitch selection and home runs. And he was talking about how he's beating everybody in with the fastball and away with the slider. And that's and that was working for him. And then when the home runs started happening, he would look at them and they would just be poorly located fastballs. So he didn't know whether or not he had to change his approach, you know, the fastball in, the slider away kind of deal, or you know, the, the slider he can go away and and in. Uh, but the, it was all came off of the fastball in. He didn't know if he had to change his whole approach or if he just messed up the command and he had to work on his body or work on his command or or and some of it was mental he said a couple of home runs he he gave up because he tried to reach back and throw harder now why did he try to reach back and throw harder because he doesn't trust his stuff because he already tried to beat that guy three times inside with the inside fastball and he thought he had to throw it harder that next time uh because he's worried he's becoming predictable so there's a whole mental aspect of the adjustment he has to make there's the there's the the stuff aspect. He said, you know, I think my changeup's there. Maybe next year, you know, I'm going to do more of. Well, this guy supposedly does well against changeups, but I've just beaten him three times in a row on the fastball in. Maybe the changeup away, you know, is set up in this in this case. And from a stuff number, the changeup looks at least average. So I don't know why he couldn't just activate that. You know, and that could be part of why he's better next year. Um, but how much of this is just uh, him talking in my ear and convincing me? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Boyd, so, salesman, salesman, and you know, talk to players, and they're you know, they're all salesmen. So I think uh, I think I may move him down a little bit. He he seems like he would more comfortably fit in at least the Joe Musgrove tier of guys with. You know, iffy stuff and better command. Or uh, there's another tier later with Miles Mikolas and Lance Lynn, where you know they've got uh, better command than stuff. So uh, maybe I'm moving down to the 50s or something. Yeah, we should talk about Lynn, and then we'll we'll wrap up this episode. I think Pitcher Week is off to a rousing start, but we're pretty far apart on Lance Lynn. I had him up at 33. You had him at 53. I think where I have him is very close to kind of where the market, again, the NFBC ADP has placed him thus far. Uh, maybe it's something with the Texas pitchers, where I just want to have mm-hmm. Texas pitchers or something. But we were 20 spots apart for a guy that is a fringe top 50 pitcher for you and a fringe top 30 guy for me. 
What about Lance Lynn uh, makes you skeptical for 2020? Well, there's a bit of the the sort of late career bump in velo. You know, at 32, you're supposed to be losing velocity, and uh, he just got he's he just threw harder than he'd ever thrown before. Uh, he'd never averaged 94 in a season ever. Even his rookie season, he was 93. Um, and I and I know he can do that by throwing close to his max, and there's a couple sort of mechanical tricks that you can do. And it doesn't even look like it, he lost velocity. He was 95 in in August and September, so uh, I can't say that he was falling off in that terms. Uh, but I've always had uh, trouble evaluating him because he throws the he throws a fastball. If you want to throw the cutter in, it's not necessarily like a slider type cutter. If you want to throw the cutter in. He throws a fastball like 80% of the time. And he doesn't have what I would consider like basically like an out pitch. You know, he doesn't have, uh, he definitely doesn't have something that will show up on on your Twitter stream. You know, Uh, where it's like, oh my God, look at Lance Lim's sexy curveball. Oh, he doesn't doesn't get the pitching ninja uh, puke emoji? he does not. (laughs) No, he does not. Uh, He does not get the puke emojis. And, uh, his fastball consistently, year in, year out, has the best whiff rate of any of his pitches. His four-seam fastball. Uh, and, again, like, I can, you know, there's a lot of that happening in, in baseball where, uh, you know, people are throwing. He threw, uh, he threw a lot of high fastballs last year. People are throwing high fastballs for whiffs. Uh, you know, the fastball is turning into a pitch that people use for whiffs as much as they use it for establishing uh, and getting strikes and, and getting ahead in the count. So he's at the crux of that. But I just I, I just have difficulty with people that are so one note in terms of, you know, basically he lives 87 to 94. Hmm. You know, so there's no real need uh, to pull off of, you know, there's no real need to worry about back and forth. He's not going to really throw something so slow that you can't hit it. Like Zach Greinke throws like a 69 mile an hour curveball and a 91 mile an hour fastball. And you have to cover all the range in between because he's got five or six pitches in between. Zach Greinke and Lance Lynn are like the opposite. Yeah. I'm looking at some of the different things on his savant page and trying to just come up with a, a reason to believe that most of last year was sustainable. And I can't come up with one that says he's going to repeat. That's, you know why he's not a top 15 pitcher for me of course that's that's right. normal but uh, I, I think he's just owned that skill that fastball for so long like I, I'm comfortable with it. I think he's an extreme floor sort of player where it's like the, yeah. the ratios are not going to be horrible like I, I have a hard time seeing things going as sour as they did for him in, in 2018 there was a trade in there um, you know, Yankee Stadium, obviously tough place to pitch. But you go back, like look through. He, he's always kind of a mediocre whip guy with a good ERA, and I think it's something that Sporers talked a lot about. We tend to overrate those players in our minds. Like we think they're better than they really are, and we underrate guys. I think going the other way, like high ERA but really low whip. So maybe, maybe a little bit of that's going on with how I'm looking at Lance Lynn as well. Hmm. I mean, certainly if he has a double-digit K-9 next year, uh, I'll be wrong. Uh, and uh, and 
I do. I've studied this a, a couple of different ways. Like I, I Fangraphs, I wrote about how he seems he's a little bit like Jaime Garcia, where he has like what seeming like four or five fastballs. And if you kind of if you do a tableau of Jaime Garcia and Lance Lynn's fastballs, the the amount of different movements they have, the different clusters they have within, is very impressive. So I would say that we might be underrating Lance Lynn by saying, uh, you know, he only has two or three fastballs. I think. He might have more than that. Um, and so that speaks to a little bit of pitchability around the fastball where he can kind of hit, uh, he can kind of do more. And that may that may fall beside the way lines when, even when you're kind of trying to do stuff or command metrics because if he does have kind of like a secret fourth or fifth fastball, maybe that doesn't show up enough in the scouting reports or show up enough uh, on the pitch classifications for you to assign the right value to it. And you'd be like, well... That looked like a backup slider, you know. That can't be what he meant to do, unless he meant to do it, you know. Um, and he seems to have real touch when it comes to his fastball. So uh, maybe I'm underrating him. I just uh, I prefer pitchers with out pitches, and for the longest time, I've classified him as not really having that. And maybe a 94 mile an hour four seam is his out pitch. Well, as as you said on this episode, you are a stuffist, which I hope ends up on a T-shirt in the very future. <laughs> Not sure what the design would look like. Maybe it just says stuffist in big letters on the front, and everyone's like, what does that mean? The puke emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of those are, are going to be sold. Well, Pitcher Week rages on as, uh, <laughs> as, as the week continues. And as always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com if you want to get a hold of us that way. Just be sure to spell out the word and if you go the email route. On Twitter, he's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. I should mention we have two other fantasy baseball podcasts running this season here at The Athletic. The first is Fantasy Baseball in 15. Every morning, 6 a.m. Eastern, uh, you get all the news, everything you need to know for the day from Al Melkier, Michael Beller, and myself. We also have The Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast, which drops new episodes opposite this show on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon, so be sure to check those shows out as well. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.